Welcome to When Life Falls Apart, a podcast where we journey through the transformative experiences of grief, trauma, and the messiness of life. My name is Carolina Walsh, and thanks for coming to check out the podcast. So who I got today to introduce you to is Hannah Dansky. Hannah is a food rights activist and grassroots organizer who lives in Boulder, Colorado. They're also a super badass poet, and I'm really excited that we have some poetry in the podcast today, which is, um, for me, gave me chills to even hear. We also go into what it was like for Hannah to lose their mother and brother when Hannah was nine years old, and into the importance of creativity, especially poetry, in the grief and healing process, and also community and how important that is. So without further ado, let's get started. Thanks for coming, Hannah. And I just wanted to start off with and see what inspires you to say yes to come and talk with me today. Well, I find that when I share my story, as vulnerable as it is, and as much as like I internally feel the fear around doing it, it's a release for me um, to be able to offer that up. And so the more times that I share my story, the more I feel like I'm healing in some way. And I think that the other piece of it is that when I hear other people's stories um, about grief or whatever it is that they've gone through, and I find some connection with that, then I feel less alone in the world. And so, you know, my hope is that when I share my story, somebody else can find some kind of connection, whether it's a similar story um, or even just like a similar feeling that happens internally. And I think that's by being by being vulnerable and by by giving some piece of ourselves up, that's how we're able to find connection. So, so this for you, I'm hearing you say, is about how do we find connection through these painful life experiences? Right. I think that it's really easy to hold on to it and to store it. And um, that's something that I did um, as a child and learned very young um, about how to do was to like take my experiences and not tell anybody and keep them as secrets and hold them as mine. And that behavior eventually stopped working for me because I was holding on to so much that I was getting really sick. And in some way now that like, I'm like learning slowly how to release, um, what I'm holding on to and my secrets and my, um, experiences in the world, I find that it actually brings us connection. And so it's a way to like unlearn those stories. I have this fear that if I share some piece of myself or get vulnerable, that people will leave me. And what I'm slowly unlearning is that and what I'm trying to learn is that it's actually the opposite it's what actually brings me closer to people so this is totally radical for you to come and go take this leap to share this story with I mean potentially tens of people (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) yeah (laughs) all at once instead of one at a time right right. it's really different different medium as well yes it is absolutely so just um i I know much more of your story and whoever's listening probably doesn't know much of it would you be willing to just give a brief overlay of of what what has occurred in your life that has brought you to this point sure so 
Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in a family with two parents, two older siblings, and my both of my parents have struggled with addiction and alcoholism. Um, my dad's been sober since before I was born, and for a while my mom was sober. And what happened was that after about seven to eight years of my life, she started drinking. My parents got divorced, um, and my mother's life started spiraling downhill really quick. Um, she went through a divorce. Her dad died. She couldn't get sober. She was in and out of rehab, um, in and out of detox centers and hospitals. And about a year passed of her basically trying to get sober, going back out. Um, at some point, she had met somebody in one of the rehab centers, and they started dating and he was abusive and manipulative and um, that relationship just brought her down even more. Um, she lost a lot of her money and her items to him and also they weren't going to stay sober together. She started using drugs and was drinking all the time and so all of that really like occurred within a year. My oldest brother was the caretaker so he mm. you know in the he was seven years older than me so he was 16 when I was nine and he was the one that was like driving us around places and helping helping my dad who didn't really actually have custody of us at the time um kind of make sure that we got to the places that we needed to get to and visit mom and he kind of served in that role as a 16 year old with a car and he died when he fell asleep at the wheel um, one afternoon, it was actually Halloween of 1997. So he was driving out to meet us somewhere and fell asleep, drifted into the other lane and died immediately. Mm -hmm. And so that was like first real big tragedy in this whole like spiraling, um, and chaos that was like entering all of our worlds. And what happened then was about three weeks later, my mother was driving drunk um, on the same highway as my brother and drifted into the other lane and died. So within about three weeks, that happened around uh, Thanksgiving. So my brother died right around Halloween, on Halloween and my mom died right around Thanksgiving. And so th that whole little time period for us, just uh, our worlds fell apart. Yeah. basically yeah um and then from that point on it was my brother my uh next oldest brother and myself and my father and we took care of each other mm -hmm. and so this is that time where so much was happening and you didn't have a way to process much of it and so you learned how to keep those secrets of what was happening on the inside to yourself yeah i think that at nine, I was able to, you know, when my brother died, you know, he was like my biggest role model and like, I adored him mm -hmm. to death. And so like, I lost like this person that was like, um, kind of like my shining star in a big way, like yeah. the person that I always looked up to. And I, you know, can't say like how much I grieve now as an adult I can't like look back and be like oh I got to hear um what I know is like that feeling in your bones when like you are
are told that you're never going to see this person that you love again. Yeah. And that instantaneous, like, sinking. Yeah. And then, you know, there was only so much grieving that could happen because we, you know, my mother was still going through everything that she was going through. And we were still, you know, my role as a kid was to, like, go with her. Yeah. You know, she was drunk but I needed to go. She needed me. She needed to hold on to me. I just sat with her, um, through a lot of it. And so I don't think I got enough space to like even grieve a lot of that, um, before my mom died. And so then when my mom died, it was again, again, just like this huge sinking, like my bones, uh, are emptying out and like all of this grief was filling me. And I think I was too small to like, grieve that fully of course yeah I was like I didn't know how to process that and and there was also some piece of us that I think my brother and I both were like wow we have to take care of each other Mm -hmm. um and so like kind of stepping out of that child role and into the like how do we take care of each other role and yeah I never really got that space and so it wasn't until I was an adult and it all started coming back up that I realized that I had to uh, go into it deeper. Um, and so I, I learned to share this story, um, as I needed to, you know, mm-hmm. if somebody said, uh, you know, what does your mother do for work? Or people just assume that you have a mom because like, I, for me, you know, I'm, I'm young. So like people will assume that my mother hasn't died of old age. And so, you know, there were oftentimes questions that I would get, uh, about my mom, And I had to say, like, no, she's dead. Like, that's not a part of my experience. Um, So I learned to do that. But I I never really learned how to, like, actually go into the grief and go into the story and hold it and share it in maybe the same way that I can share other stories about my life. Yeah. So and I know that you've struggled with addiction. And I wonder, did the grief fuel any of that addiction? What's your experience with that? Yes, absolutely. So I... Um, you know, I, with both of my parents as alcoholics and I, I was always like growing up, I was kind of afraid to drink and I was afraid to do drugs because I saw what happened to my mom. And so that fear actually kept me from using for a long time. Um, and when I started drinking, um, it wasn't like an everyday thing. I, I very easily could convince myself that you know, it wasn't a problem, even though I was always getting blackout drunk every time Mm -hmm. I drank. And, um, there were certainly problems with it, but when, um, the grief started coming back up, I actually, I traveled for a long time alone and kind of like spent a lot of time processing my life. And it was actually when I came back that the grief started just coming out of me. And I was like reliving these experiences as a kid. And I was, um, having, uh, memories come back up that I had completely forgotten, Mm -hmm. especially around the abuse and especially around my mother's like drinking and drugging. There was, it was just like these, like me being a kid and seeing her and being completely helpless. And that was just like, so real for me all of it. All of a sudden I was like, Oh, I am back in this. And, and that time period in my life was really hard. Um, and I was alone and I didn't know how to share any of it. And it's, you know, it was definitely, like, the darkest time in my life. And I didn't know if I was going to survive it myself. And what happened was that um, I just started using more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Because I couldn't handle everything that was coming out of me alone. I couldn't go back into that grief and live those experiences alone. But with drugs or alcohol, 
uh, it would numb it out. And so, like, alcohol actually kind of got me out of that time. But then I became completely dependent on it for survival. Um, And then it started killing me. So it was this, like, strange experience of how, you know, the ability to numb the grief uh, helped get me through that. But then I couldn't stop drinking alcohol. And so it's it both uh, helped me helped me survive and suppressed it all. And so yeah. when I quit drinking alcohol, it came back up. Yeah, that's really common, I think, and something I've experienced that alcohol and drugs helped me to cope with pain and suffering at a time when I didn't have the capacity to do it on my own and I didn't have the ability to reach out for help. Totally. And that there had to be something occur in my life where I was willing to reach out for help, even though I didn't know if that was going to help. But it was kind of like the end of the rope. Right. I have to try something else because this is no longer working for me. Right. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I... Uh, I knew I couldn't go back to where I was at that time in my life where I was experiencing grief and alone. And so my entire, like, my idea in my head was like, just never go back there. Just don't Mm -hmm. face it. Um, but when alcohol stopped working, I really, I just had nothing else. And I was trying to just get sober. I was trying to like stop hurting all of the people that I loved around me. I didn't even really want to quit drinking. I just didn't want to feel the same way I felt every day. Um, which was just like waking up and feeling a huge sense of shame and guilt and like confusion about why I got drunk again, you know, like again and again and again. And so, you know, it wasn't like, oh, yay, now I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to face my grief and I'm going to build connections with other people. It was just like, how do I stop feeling the way I feel? And then like what I have come to learn is like, oh, through this process of getting sober, I also have to face that grief. But this time it's not alone trying to figure it out, getting lost in my past, getting lost in my head um, and in my darkness and my addiction. It's like, oh, I do it with people and that is hard for me. It's hard to reach out for help, but like, I don't really know another way anymore. Yeah. So it sounds like the alcohol and and drugs really served you to keep you alive for a certain period of time. It eventually stopped working and kind of kicked you out of the, the nest and said, go out into the world because you can't be here anymore. And you found another way. You found some people to help you along on this journey. What was that like for you, that process of saying, okay, I have to do something else. And it seems like that something else is connection with others. Um, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, um, I, I, especially when I first um, got sober and got in recovery and people would, you know, give me their phone numbers and be like, hey, reach out for help. And there were so many moments where I was broken I didn't know what to do and I would like look at the phone and I would be like this is the thing that everybody tells me to do is to like ask for help and I would just paralyze like I couldn't move 
I couldn't push the button. I couldn't hit the like little call the person button. Um, and then I would put it down again and, and go off on my way. And so like, I, yeah, it, it's been this like really slow process of learning how to do it and how to ask for help because that fear of like, if I'm vulnerable, people will leave me is so ingrained in me that like, it's, I can't, it's like hard to push through. And the only way I know how to push through is to do it, but I can get stuck in that in between, like all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so what's helped you the most in terms of getting unstuck? Getting through that fear is usually a process of like completely crashing and breaking down and surrendering which so not graceful it's it's not graceful it's not pretty (laughs) I admire people that um you know like I watch and they seemingly just do it um I tend to have like lots of moments alone of just like completely panicking and like you know, pacing around in my anxiety and like crying and breaking down and, you know, getting to a place of like where I really, you know, have no other option and I don't want to be alone anymore in it. Um, it's kind of similar to like that moment, you know, leading up to not drinking anymore. It was like, I don't, I don't want to quit drinking, but like the experience of, my behavior day and day and day, um, again, like it became more painful than the idea of like trying something new. And that's oftentimes like my same experience for like reaching out for help. It's like, this is too painful, um, to be in this alone and I don't actually know what to do. Um, so it's not graceful. It's not a pretty story. It's not a, uh, an experience that I really let people in on so much. Um, but eventually you get to that point where I reach for, out for help. And then eventually that action of reaching out for help um, happens a little bit sooner and then a little bit sooner and then a little bit sooner every time it comes up again. Um, so lately I've been having an experience that, you know, I've like really needed a lot of support and advice on. And um, I am trying to do that more and more and more. Only, only uh, a few days of panic in my own head instead of weeks of it or something like that is kind of idea so that's progress yeah although not pretty or (laughs) perfect or or something that you really want it to look like so I have another question when I think about the transformative qualities of grief or pain or just you know what we're talking about just this messiness of life we sometimes encounter points along the path where we're we have a a turning point or Mm. we have Something that shifts on the inside and we say, okay, something is actually different. And some people liken it to, um, you know, maybe going into a cave and battling a dragon or making peace with a dragon. And hopefully as a result, coming out with some sort of gift, some sort of insight, some sort of way that we know we can be in the world that we haven't been in the world previously. And I wonder if there's anything like that that's occurred for you around this process of what I'm hearing, sobriety and addiction and grief. Yeah. Um, sometimes I remember uh, my framework around my grief back when I was still drinking. And I definitely had this mentality that was like, I will never be okay. 
I'll like, will always be motherless and I will always be alone and I will never be okay. And, you know, people tell me like, your grief will not, you know, consume you. You know, I, your identity will not be the same as your grief and maybe you won't have to think about it every day or, you know, maybe it'll change and morph and like, what I've come to learn in sobriety is like, I don't know what that'll look like or, you know, if I don't even know necessarily if that's true, but I kind of have to trust in other people that have gone through, um, whatever their experiences are in the world with grief or, um, recovery. So some piece of me trusts them, you know, that I will have a different relationship to it than I do now. And then, and, and I have a different relationship to it now than I did before. And a lot of that for me has been like, just sitting with it and like learning how to sit with it and not just cover it up like I used to. And a big part of my process has been writing. Like I have um, been writing more and more and more poetry and just like free writing and just like whatever comes up comes up. And most of it's about my childhood. Most of it's about my mother. And a lot of it's like wrestling with like coming to understand myself kind of from my lens of uh of the little me that was in the world confused and scared and um trying to like fight to keep my mom alive and then some of it's like coming to understand me as a little one from this perspective now as an adult and like those interactions that happen between us and like writing has been the biggest thing that's like helped me I guess like navigate that grief and like Mm -hmm. see it and hold the trauma and also like I don't even realize like what my perspectives are on it until I write and then something comes out of me and I'm like oh this is different or oh this is teaching me something and so it's almost like this process of like I'm not doing it like I'm not what is the next line and then I write down the next line I just start writing and something kind of moves through me and Mm. that gives me like a lens a different lens and a like different understanding of what I'm going through. So this seems like an incredibly powerful gift that you've gained from your process of grief and addiction is your ability to write poetry. Yeah, I would say that like the ability isn't necessarily dependent on the grief. It's just like a process that happens, but it's dependent on me like and my willingness to like sit down and get quiet and because that's the biggest thing that I think I'm going through that's what keeps coming up it's sometimes I just wish I had poems about other things (laughs) (laughs) and then I say hey I wrote another poem it's really sad and then you laugh at me because they're all sad (laughs) one of the gifts that I've received from getting to accompany you on this journey is to hear some of your poetry and it moves me deeply and gets me in touch with some parts of myself that I can't even always name. And I wonder if you'd be willing to maybe just even share a a stanza or a section of a poem right now. Sure. I like that that gets to the pieces that you can't name. I I noticed that, like, oftentimes that's what it is for me. It's like, oh, I have this thing going on and I don't have the words for it. So when I write... It's a strange way of coming to realize what those words are. Yeah. Sure. I can do like the first piece of 
this poem um, about, it's kind of a sweet one, you know, oftentimes they can be uh, sad or angrier, you know. This piece is just like about hanging out with my ghosts in sweet and loving ways. On nights as foggy as this, I can't tell where the fog ends and my ghosts begin. But I can feel them breathing. I can hear their whispers softly singing. I can smell the remnants of broken hearts and stale regrets. And I know they are there because I remember when they left for a while. I remember when my panicked screams needed rest and they got lost in the breeze. They stopped haunting me until I went searching for them and begged them to keep me up at night. Now on nights as foggy as this, we sing melodies on repeat. We dance in fields where no one can see. We play games of make pretend. I am a child and they are alive. I am a child again and I have bones of solid iron. So strong the words won't break me. So strong the bottle won't break me and I can become invisible. I hide the coke and the gun in the back of the closet where I know they won't go because the monsters won't let them in and they are angry. But I can hide and I am a child and they are alive. Thank you. Wow, I just had chills over my whole body for the last 30 seconds. It gets sweeter. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's not so sweet. <laughs> it's so powerful, though, to hear your poetry. It, it moves me in a way that, that's really profound. Thanks. Like, time stops for a moment, and I'm with you in a place that, that I, don't, I don't know. But like I said, it does connect me with something deep inside of me. How is it to share your poetry? What's that experience like for you? It's more vulnerable than just sitting down and talking about my story. It's like this whole body, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I feel like everything gets dark. The you know, at some point I like memorized the poems and, um, that's not so hard for me for some reason. It just kind of comes. But when I'm in it and when I'm performing it, especially, you know, in front of an audience, it's, it's just like everything comes out and I don't even remember what just happened. By the end of the poem, I'm usually like, wow, I hope I said everything that I was supposed to say. Yeah. Um, cause I don't even remember. I'm just like in this, uh, trance in some way and um, my body moves in certain ways and my you know the words just come out but like for me it's like uh, kind of this meditation I guess like in this like mm -hmm. I'm not really the one doing it yeah I'm just a, a body and something's flowing out of me huh. what does it feel like that something is for you um something bigger than me I can't really say much more than that. I mean, that's definitely feels like my experience of writing. I can get into a place where uh, I don't feel like I'm writing it. I I just I just write and the and the words come out and it's about my experience, but it doesn't even feel like me in some ways. When I hear you say this about this energy moving through you and your past experience, I get this feeling inside of there's this fodder from the past that comes through your body and intermingles with this energy that you were talking about 
And as it exits you, it's transformed possibly in some way that it takes on new meaning or it is transmuted in some way. Yeah. You know, to be honest, like, I don't even, I don't have words for the experience even. Um, Maybe I should write a poem about poetry. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I can't really explain um, the process. Uh, I believe other artists talk about this probably in with better words. Um, but it is my experience, but I'm not, so, I'm not thinking so much. Mm-hmm. I guess that's really just like, all I can say is like, I'm not thinking about how to tell you what I'm trying to tell you mm-hmm. or, um, what's the best metaphor here. And, you know, I've never studied poetry <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I I, I can go into like the academics of it, you know, but like with, with writing and creative writing and poetry, I was just like, I don't know, I just do it. And that's like, I think that's kind of like what I'm saying about the ability to right? like, I was like, um, you know, I feel like anybody can have this ability or maybe they have different mediums, you know, and they have different ways of like, uh, working through things. Um, art and, and poetry has been a medium that's like really worked for me for this time. And in the past it was music and in the, you know, maybe other folks have different ways of doing it but it's not so much like a special thing that happens in my mind it's just like a process yeah so like if somebody were listening to this and they were saying that oh i i also want to be able to express this pain express what's happening for me you're saying you don't need anything special yeah you just have to be willing to get quiet and sit down and try something is that kind of what you're saying art is you know and, and creativity is something that everybody has we just learn to shut it off yeah as humans and in our society shuts it off and says like oh there's no time for art because we gotta work and like <laughs> right. um there's we shouldn't be creative we should just do what we're told and i think you know i just learned from people that have been able to resist that um and um the more that i've been able to resist that the more i can tell other people like you can just resist that I think the world is better when there's more creativity in it. And I think like it gives people a way to connect. And I think that it gives people a way to heal. And I just think that it creates more lightness in the world. Thanks for coming and sharing. Yeah, thank you. If you'd like to hear some more poetry by Hannah, I'm going to insert a piece at the end written by Hannah, accompanied by Richie Machado entitled, Will You See Me? Thanks for listening and check us out again soon. today would you see me would you let me be me would you say you've always known or be shocked with disappointment would you hold me would you love me would you grieve the idea of me before giving me your grief would you walk through the opacity that exists between us hands out move slow would you find me my genderless body Would you pull it closer to you despite the heat that rises from the fire inside? Would you use it to stay warm instead of high? Do you remember how my fire burned? How it grew from ashes to flame? 
and how the uncontrollable rage left us both burn out, and when you picked up that liquor bottle, how the house went up in flames. Would you let me burn today? dog the shrine of your lies I'll tell you my sense so you can sharpen your knife offer me that deathless death oh good god let me give you my life take me to church i worship like a dog the shrine of your lies i'll tell you my sense so you can sharpen your knife offer me that deathless death oh good god let me give you my body was not born a political statement. It was born into a world that made it one. You prayed not a son, but your dying tradition, your rising addiction would be covered if I could just be perfect this time. Your perfect girl who sings melodies so sweet even the birds fall in love. But when you gave me my gender before giving me my name, did you know we'd go up in flames? Because tied to your genes was your vision you passed on to me. Did you know my truth could be different than yours? Or did you just have no other tongue? Because without language, we have no choice. Only assimilation or a barbed wire paddle. A flower dress or an eternity in hell. A boyfriend or a beatdown. A value system or another mother walking out the door. Are you a boy or a girl? Are you a boy or a girl? Which side are you on? Why do you hide behind lockers? Why don't you come swim with us? Are you a boy or a girl? But I was lost in my mind for more days than I was there. I tried to answer. I stared at my body. I was gone again. You were gone again. You went to rehab again, to the hospital again, to your abuser again, back to rehab again, back to your abuser again, back to rehab again, mother. I'll wear the dress, just don't leave again, mother. I tried to be perfect, so you could, could return home from your death and tell me it wasn't actually real. But I stored all of these hauntings inside of me. I just can't be your perfect body, because I swept so many skeletons under the rug that my queerness came out the other side. And it's hard not to notice an open wound on this body that has no answers, only truth. This body, once flames, once yours, once inside of you.
out of your lies I'll tell you my sins You can sharpen your knife Offer me that deathless death Oh good God, let me give you my life Take me to church I worship like a dog In the shrine of your lies I'll tell you my sins You can sharpen your knife Offer me that deathless death Oh good God, let me give you 